Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, January 17th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again, wrapping up my bachelor weekend here in Brooklyn, which I spent, um, as you're probably not surprised, you probably could have sussed this out on yourself, uh, betting on football and horses and drinking way too much beer. Family are coming back today. That's probably good for my liver and uh, maybe my bank account, the way that uh, some of these uh, photos have been going lately. But we'll get to some of that a little bit later to look back at this interesting sort of lower key, but still interesting weekend of racing with me. We bring in uh, one of our regulars here from InTheMoneyPodcast.com and from Sam Houston Race Park. It is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? Doing great, my friend. Halfway through January already. Can't believe it. It's flying by, especially when you spend weekends doing what you did. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't too bad betting-wise. I got to the last leg of the coast-to-coast, and it was one of those things where I was just wrong. You know, I really thought you could lock up that last leg with two horses. I had one backup ticket left. It wouldn't have been anything great. You know, I think I was getting uh, about four to one on my money had it uh, had it come right it went wrong and in truth the football wasn't too bad i just uh, stinging a little bit i i had it, now it just seems like the most muggish opinion i've ever had but i really thought that the the uh, that, that the basically i played the tampa dallas game i played it that at some point in this game tampa will be favored so i took an early position uh took it took the pre flop position on tampa and basically was just ready to bet it back the other way anytime they got to four to five and then just to win on both sides. And of course it was one of those things just basically a, they did get to evens, but it was a one-way train. And uh, I just felt like a mug betting on a 75 year old man uh, based on his reputation, not the kind of play that I'm supposed to be making probably. Yeah. It was a little, little disappointing in that regard though. A Texan, I am no cowboy fan, but um, it was, <laughs> I, I found, I don't know, maybe it was with my own betting, but I found myself watching way too much Tampa. And I think after week five or six, when they lost to uh, they lost a road game, I think to Carolina and I got knocked out of my survivor pool. I watched them. No, it was when they lost to Pittsburgh. I watched them and I was like, this team sucks. They're not, they're not good. Uh, they've got a really good defense, but their offense is just abysmal. And so I, I think that when it, when we got to week 16 and they beat or week, week 17 and they beat Carolina in what would have been the game that where they would have lost the division, everybody was like, okay, well, you know, now they're getting their act together. And um, unfortunately the Cowboys are good. Um, I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> As I'm a Giants a fan, I love that sentiment. Unfortunately, the Cowboys are good. Oh, and, and I'm a, I tell everybody I'm, I'm Texans giants and whoever's playing Dallas. <laughs> so it's, those are my roots. So I'm, I will wear my Lawrence Taylor Jersey on Saturday. I'm, oh, I'm got one right here in the bunker. I go, you know, we'll bust it out if they can I'm, get the miracle. I, against I think them. I'm going to wear it on the show at Sam Houston on Saturday. Unfortunately, nobody can watch it, but you know, <laughs> but I told Frank at Sam Houston, I was going to do it. So no, I'm excited about the G men. I've, I, and, and I'm some of our esteemed friends are, Philadelphians and they've they've been annoyed with me for weeks because I've been chirping at them about how overrated the Eagles are. So this is like a big put your money where your mouth is situation. So I'm in a situation in a loser pool. It's just like a survivor pool, but in reverse where you yeah. have to pick the team that loses run by a, a, a friend of ours. And so my choice is I either have to pick Dallas or the Giants to lose next week. I don't obviously I'm not touching the Bengals Bills game and I've already used Jacksonville. So that's out. Well, which 
what should I do? Do I do I separate heart from head? I I, I haven't seen a line yet on the Niners, but I mean that's going to be less than a touchdown. The 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 Giants line eight and a half on the math. I'm supposed to pick against my beloved Giants as as sort of a hedge, which I'll do from time to time. But but I don't know. Maybe I just go with my heart and pick Dallas to lose. I mean the the the, the 49ers are pretty good. Brock Purdy, that's your man. <laughs> Pick the Cowboys to lose. I, you know, look, on the math, you're absolutely right. The Giants are far more likely to lose than the Cowboys. But um, I I don't know. There's a little uh, there's a little element of that Giants team that doesn't realize they're not supposed to be there. Yeah. And those are really dangerous teams. Um, I mean, this, this is usually the best weekend of football of the year. And so the things that – and you and I could probably go on a huge tangent about this. But the things from last week that you know are going to matter is that Seattle played San Francisco well in the first half. They and did. then obviously San Francisco just has so many weapons and their defense is, is very, very good. So they're going to stifle you at some point. And when they hit Seattle with that barrage, it was over. So the question becomes, is Dallas going to hone in on what they can do offensively to keep San Francisco off balance? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, this guy is a rookie who's only started like eight games. And, and you know, you probably – you probably can get you can rattle his cage a little bit. The line's four and a half. So yeah. I mean, which I thought it would be around four, four and a half. Um, that's a good way to get two-way action, right? It's kind of a dead number. Cowboy fans are gonna jump all over it, and the Niner fans are gonna say, Oh God, I mean, this should be six. So I think, I mean, in all likelihood, the Eagles are a more likely winner, but I think it's a go with your heart kind of thing. And there's it's also there's a game theory advantage because everybody else is going to be you know, a lot of people are going to be in the same position. So yeah. you get you potentially can get value. You know, you don't know what other people are going to do, but just logically I figure 3 quarters of the people left are going to go are going to do the math play. So Obviously yeah. you don't have the Jaguars available. Correct. I use them week 4 or whatever. Yeah. Um I tried to keep the, some of those lower player lower tier playoff teams on side but I do not have them. Otherwise this yeah there'd be no conversation. Only one of the 12 people left has them. It's one of those kind of things. So yeah. that person will skate, everybody else will sweat. It's going to be fun. All right. Unscheduled 5 minute tangent on the NFL, but I don't think too many people mind. There's quite a Venn diagram of uh, of audience I think between those two topics. Let's talk about some horse racing though and we'll start off with looking at some three-year-old colts from the past weekend. There was one stake race I had on my list to talk about, the Pasco, which was the sixth race at uh, at Tampa, won in an upset by a great name for a um, – this horse should be running in Louisiana, Zydeco. Uh, this horse had run a very solid figure back on debut, but that was in a maiden-claiming 16. Runs in 80 here, wins wire to wire. Uh, the connections have to be feeling really good about the 15000 they spent on this horse who tries every time. Recurring theme in these three-year-old races we're going to talk about today, Lasix on for Zydeco, uh, part of the uh, the big figure improvement. Champion's Dream went here as a big favorite, um, switching barns, going out for Mark Cassie for the first time after being in the care of Danny Gargan. Curious to see if you, ha- if you thought that one had any excuses. Feels like unlikely a race that's going to have much of an impact on the Triple Crown Trail, but certainly some horses who will come back and run in these other key Tampa, da- Tampa Bay preps that hopefully we'll be uh, talking about right here on the uh, Players Podcast. Curious to get your thoughts on the Pasco. 
Yeah, I mean, probably not all that influential with regards to the trail, but um, I guess Champion's Dream was probably a horse that you wanted to see how he'd run as a benchmark for some other horses that we've seen. And um, it was not the most compelling performance by Champion's Dream by any means. And obviously losing to a horse like Zydeco is not something that you're going to you're going to put on your uh, your CV. Um, but uh, this is a race that there was a Mike Trombetta horse that won it like three or four years ago that ended up winning the forego was, was his name win 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 yeah like, that's right from like a hundred lengths out to win the forego yep. in a driving rainstorm yeah i remember and, well, yeah um and so you know he was a horse that jumped up in that race and earned i think like a 90 plus buyer speed figure um champion's dream i should i shouldn't really be i shouldn't really go too hard on him because he did run well i mean they peeled off about eight lengths in front of everybody else so and you he, know, got, he was lit up and like smacked at the break too you know that was if, if you forced me to conjure an excuse i would have said maybe maybe that those early stresses took some of the sting out of the finish there yeah and he ended up chasing inside down the stretch which wasn't the most advisable spot to be in so i think there are some angles there that you can can deal with and, and, you know, make a little case for. So um, yeah, we'll see how, you know, if any of these resurface in the Sam Davis, it does come back a little bit quickly. It's four weeks. So, you know, we'll definitely, I, I would imagine they'll try and stretch the winner out and I would expect that champions dream will be there. Mark has, is already planning apparently on running wonder wheel there. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. He, I feel like he keeps going back and forth on that one. I've heard him in my that day against Phillies. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Because okay. yeah. when he was on, when we had him on last year, he spoke very confidently about wanting to run her against boys. And then, yes, subsequently, I'd seen that she was going to stick yeah, that, to that sex, which only tough. makes sense at this point. If, you, if she blows you away there, you, you, you know, you, can, you only need the one prep to, against the Colts to get into the thing. But, yeah, I'm not really seeing that whole thing. But, you know, he, he dreams big. This is like the classic, you know, everybody talks about it and then they look at them on paper and they're like, oh, yeah. they're not competitive at all. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing with Hoosier Philly. It was like, OK, so you guys had good two year olds, right? First of all, the pack's going to catch up to you in the three year old ranks anyway, in your own gender. So why don't you see how you do against Phillies first, which what is, is what Mark is doing. And obviously he's a he's a. Hall of Famer in two different Hall of Fame. So Halls of Fame, I should say. So, and you know, I'll, I'll trust that he's going to do the right thing. I don't think we'll see Wonder Wheel against males in 2023. Let's pivot now to Oaklawn Park, um, an allowance race there. First level allowance won by a son of Justify called Verifying. This horse appeared on our radars of based on that nice Saratoga win. Graded stakes placed in the Champagne and looks to have not just come back fully formed, but to have grown up some. A 97 buyer speed figure. And, you know, just taking a quick look at the numbers, if that's wrong, it's probably light. Um, once again, Lasix on, and we'll get to that tangent question here. Um, maybe we'll do it now, asking, you know, how horse players need to be looking at this question. But first and foremost, where does verifying now rank for you amongst these uh, three-year-olds? I mean, you know, he, he has to rise up the ranks a little bit, right? I mean, it, it's it's foolish to say a horse that ran a race that fast isn't worthy of some consideration. You know, he had a, he had a good trip. He was up close to the lead and uh, his two wins now have both come when he's had some amount of control in a, in a slow paced race. He obviously wasn't on the lead on Saturday, but he was very close and pretty much ready to pounce. You know, what you want to see is how he comes back in, in a race like the rebel or, you know, somewhere else where Brad Cox may try him and see how he runs without Lasix. 
because it's it's looks a little bit like this is a situation where he was probably helped by having it. Um, this is a horse who there was always a lot of buzz about. As you mentioned, he won on Travers Day um, in the opener. He beat a weak field, but he did it the right way. And so we all were a little intrigued by him moving forward. And and that's why he got some support in the in the uh, champagne and, and was expected to run well. So, you know, m- tempered enthusiasm, I think, is the right way to put it. Like to see him do it without it. Uh, I mean, Brad Cox has just an embarrassment of riches Amazing. with the three-year-olds right now. It is incredible. And, you know, was, uh, we said this a couple of weeks ago talking about it. And, and I made mention of the fact that if. Nick appears to have frozen for us. Let's see if he can uh, come back or we may have to edit, but hopefully we don't have to edit. Maybe he'll leave and come back. Let's text him. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was this general idea of Lasix. We got a question when we were out in uh, Arizona. Somebody asked me about specific- – oh, Nick, did you come back? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, excellent. We got you frozen there for a minute. Oh, but nice I I, yeah. I was I was filibustering, um, but I did. I was starting to tell the story about being out in Arizona and being a uh, Jessica Paquette asked on the panel, you know, what horse players think about industry issues like Lasix that's that within the industry, people spend so much time talking about. And I said, you know, basically, I said something to the effect of I don't think, you know, in terms of the global picture of racing and and what our concerns are, I don't think the horse player thinks about Lasix that much. We just want a level playing field, something like that. But yeah. when you're talking about handicap, <laughs> you got to think about Lasix because it's another critical variable in races. And I feel like especially this time of year, when you're looking at horses coming from two to three, rising three-year-olds that are liable to step up anyway. And, you know, I wish I had actionable information to pass on and say, oh, okay, when they're on first-time Lasix, you can expect to, to improve two to four points or something. But it's not it's not that linear. It's not that straightforward. And, you know, it's something I look at and obviously I want to be cognizant of when a horse like verifying now comes back and tries to run off the stuff, but I don't know, you know, I I don't know. I, I wish I'm finding myself wishing that we had an answer to this question one way or another. And we were able to just stick with it. Cause it just, it makes horse players lives in terms of trying to figure out form and bet with confidence even harder than it already is. And it's already never been harder. Do you have any advice for the viewers, for the listeners about uh, how to approach these horses, adding Lasix for the first time and, or when a horse like verifying comes back and is now off Lasix, what do you, do you take that form? Do you take that figure? Literally, do you build in um, a little bit of decline? How do you handle it? Boy, tough one to have a pretty comprehensive answer for. I agree with you that we want to level playing field. Um, I think that in this situation, because we've seen it was such a clear step forward first time at three. And, you know, I remember there was an angle that I, I heard sort of kicked around in, in years past. Uh, Rich Perloff would actually talk about it on TVG. He would say, my, how they've grown. And it was the take the first start of a horse in a new year and see where they were relative to where they were prior and consider whether they just might be taking a big step forward. And, you know, you're going to see the verifying will have a huge progression in his thoroughgraph pattern. And he's going to he obviously had a huge increase in his buyer speed figure. So with him specifically, I would probably lean more to the side of this is a horse who's just improving because he already did show that he was relatively fast without Lasix. You know, now he's grade one caliber with with Lasix, but he's not running on Lasix anytime soon in a graded stake race. 
So I think you want to, you'd want to give him that one shot integrated stake race, um, even without Lasix and just see where he fits at that point. Now, I said that if the figure was wrong, it was low. Uh, Craig Mokowski would very much disagree with me. This is interesting. Taking a look at Timeform US, how does a 104 on there equating to more of like a mid-80s buyer? I was just looking at raw times and comparing them to some of the other races on the day and thinking that that number could have even been closer to, to triple digits. It feels like the buyer team are particularly you know, cognizant of, of – uh, you know, erring on the side of caution when it comes to to numbers that are going to be in the three digit range. I, you know, I, you're a figure maker. I don't know if you've looked at this at all, but I just thought that was re that's a really huge disparity. And uh, I'm just curious to get a little bit more intel. And if you can't do it now on the fly, maybe send a tweet later about what you think about uh, about the, the times earned there. But, you know, maybe Craig obviously knows infinite infinity more than me when it comes to making speed figures. So I, I might be wrong, but I am. I am tempted to give credence to the buyer in this in this case at, at first blush, but would love to hear what some other figure makers have to say. Did Craig have the pace slow? He it wasn't coded slow. Okay, it's, it is unusual though. The pace line for verifying on Craig 107, 99, 101, 104, 106, which is just interesting to me. That sort of suggests a push button horse that has that speed to get into position can settle, can finish. I mean, so I, I love the pace line on Timeform US. It's just that final number, you know, like I said, 104. That's that's still solid, but you, that's not going to put you in, you know, anybody thinking you're a top five uh, Kentucky Derby contender. No, I mean, that's actually going to have him lower than the Champagne, right? So right. he's going to, he earned a, a 108 in the Champagne, went second behind Blazing Sevens. So yeah, I mean, it's going it, to, from that point of view, it's a little disappointing, I guess is the right word, but um, you don't often get that kind of disparity. So I am intrigued actually at, at what the thoroughgraph figure will end up being. And I'll tweet that out when, when I find out, usually our, our mutual friend, Steve Bick will let me know if I ask and, and we'll take a look at that. Cause that'll be, that'll be worth taking a look at for sure. Yeah. Interesting. So, so maybe the jury's still out a little bit on this horse, but yeah, I like, I still think the conclusion that you mentioned, the cautious optimism feels like the right way forward. Let's talk about some of the three-year-olds who ran at Gulfstream and Gulfstream's fifth provided one of these. I mean, this is how I'm going to frame it. You could tell me if I'm I'm imposing a narrative where there's a simpler or better explanation. But the phrase, the old William Goldman line about what works in Hollywood, you know, nobody knows nothing comes to mind. Because you had a couple of Todd Pletcher runners in here. You had Cuvier and you had uh, Sergeant Pepper. Love the name, Sergeant Pepper. Uh, Sergeant Pepper being a $1.6 million baby who, from the reports I heard, the whispers I heard, had been working with and outworking Cuvier. And that's logical in the way they were bet with Sergeant Pepper being bet down to six to five and Cuvier being bet to, to, to nine to one. It's Cuvier who wires him, earns a 76 uh, speed figure in the process. It's just one of these things like obviously it's well worth doing the you'd much rather have the workout info than not have the workout info. But, you know, maybe it's sometimes the the preference, the lean for one over another from an angle like that goes too far. I mean, they're working pretty close together. One six to five, one's nine to one, the nine to one wins. Just one of those funny situations that makes you throw up your hand as a horse player to me. Yeah. And, and Cuvier kind of took the worst of it. Right. He got all the heat on the inside and and. Um, Sergeant Pepper had much more of a, of an easier run stalking. Then they got inundated a little bit with other horses when Alad uh, Lassi uh, made a big move around the turn and uh, so did Practico. Um, Cuvier was really game though, really dug in and, and came back and 
and ran a race that I wouldn't have expected. The so the interesting thing about Sergeant Pepper is that, of course, he is a, a half sibling to Spice is Nice, yep. who was owned by these connections. And um, it was also obviously out of Dame Dorothy. Um, of course, there's a big difference between paying one point six million for a Philly and for a cult, um, especially one that looks like he might be parted with his his parts at some point. <laughs> but <laughs> I kid. I mean, at least at this point. But um, so I. I thought, so here's the thing. Mike Welsh, the DRF Clocker Report called Cuvier better than Sergeant Pepper in their last work. Wow, that's great. That's not, that is not the whisper that I had heard, but that's a great pick and a great call. Well, and what, what, what it said, and I just pulled it up, it said, well matched and looked good going from the gate in company with Sergeant Pepper. Jose Ortiz was riding, broke well, and looked to be going slightly best after a half mile, galloped out nicely, good move for both. Now, the difference was that Prior to those workouts, he had been getting nothing but B minuses. And, and so I think that maybe the Sergeant Pepper, the fact that Sergeant Pepper had worked well prior to that and then worked well again, even if he was slightly second best, is probably what led a lot of people there. I'll tell you the other thing too, Pete, the public loves betting big purchase prices. I yeah. mean, they just assume that the more you pay, the better the horse is going to be. And boy, <laughs> bloodstock agents would just eat that up, right? They'll just take that to the bank. So um, yeah, interesting effort. Um the race itself was pretty slow, so there's going to need to be some improvement in in this group. It's really the horse I think we're going to talk about next that I thought from a maybe from a practical standpoint was a little bit more interesting on Saturday's card. Another big purchase price. We'll get there. I don't want to give up on Sergeant Pepper. I'd, I'd like to see, you know, on pedigree, you wouldn't necessarily say this, but it could be in reality, more ground will be, will be the friend. We'll see. We'll see what happens with those, uh, those Pletcher runners and all the rest coming out of that fifth race. The horse that Nick was referring to ran in the, I'm guessing ran in the eighth race, really nice breeding on this one. Kings Barnes, the buyer figures just a 74, but I mean, this is a, $800,000 purchase, an Uncle Mo Tappet Cross that I thought visually was very impressive and, and looks like a potentially a runner to follow. Well, let me see what the uh, – I haven't pulled up what the time form number is on this one. I'll do that just as we uh, as we speak right now. Um, and, of course, I pulled up the wrong race. So uh, there it is. A 99 on time form. So, yeah, right in line with that. Uh, the, that's like an 80 buyer speed figure. And uh, this looked like a nice winner. What did you think? Yeah, didn't have the most comfortable of trips. Um, didn't have a bad trip. I don't want to. You know, I want to make sure I, I don't use the wrong word there because he did end up getting a very nice run through. You know, the the thing that I thought about this race from a pace perspective, I'm also generally going to gravitate more towards a horse that debuts and wins at a mile than six. Um, just having that sort of box and of, of distance checked. Um, this is a horse who actually his workouts were kind of going not the wrong way, but he worked well with uh with Shesterkin who had broken his maiden a few weeks before for Todd Pletcher the I also I liked this field I thought this field could actually be okay and you know other than basically uh, the race collapsed and Kings Barnes was the only horse who was anywhere near it early and they looked to be going pretty quick down the back stretch Pete Aiello made reference to the to the pace being strong and, you know, Luis Saez kind of wedged Kings Barnes behind horses. He was waiting for room. When he finally got room, he burst through. And then here came these two Bill Mott horses that had been a mile out. And they start rallying down the center of the track. And um, and he's got enough to hold them off. And it didn't, you know, it, it just didn't look like a race that went according to plan. So I, I thought that that was, 
if I could find a, a newly turned three-year-old that can overcome adversity a little bit, I thought that Way Hill Road, who took a lot of money in there, went off a co-favorite and ended up finishing fourth. Um, actually, I, I think may have ended up finishing fifth. Fifth. I, th I think he might be okay. So, you know, I just – this was a race that was a little bit more interesting to me. I'll give Prairie Dunes another shot. Now, probably a horse that's going to need a setup, but just struck me I, – I love the way this horse was finishing. And it, the pace was coming back, but it was still – I, it was it was a good enough run with enough trouble, you know, being carried absurdly wide before it that, you know, if I'm looking for a best closer in in at some point down the line in some spot where Prairie Dunes is theoretically too slow. And uh, but I think the pace is going to come back. Maybe a horse that can score at a big price somewhere along the line. Game Warden of the two Mots seemed to be the one that was maybe just a little bit more. I mean, ran very well, but a little bit more flattered by, by the setup. I, I, I wanted to take Prairie Dunes out of this race as well. The interesting thing about Game Warden was that Irad was riding him. I thought coming into it, um, there was only one Todd. So and uh, the thing that I liked about this race also was that on the workout reports, there were a lot of horses training well. So it felt like a group that that might be, you know, Archangelo, for example, who finished uh, fourth, came in with a B plus workout and had a promising debut. And Sarah Shaman, who set the pace and and ultimately tired. Uh, that horse had been training well with another Safi Joseph runner that that looked okay in the past. So, you know, there were just a few angles there that that this might be a slightly better race than than it initially looked. And I think you're making a bunch of good points that folks should be paying attention to, especially newer players. That idea of finding a, a key form line, not necessarily, you know, people talk a lot about a key race, which in theory is a race out of which more than one winner comes. But I think there's at this point even some more sophisticated ways of just trying to identify a race that was, that was quote unquote good form, whether it, cause it came back fast early or fast late or cause like Nick is saying that you had a horse that played out almost a little bit more like a maiden stake, just because there were a lot of well-regarded horses in it. So it's a form line to watch and, you know, you get a couple of runbacks and, and they, they, they run a couple lengths better than you expect. And then you could start to really maybe dial up what you're going to do with the horses that you really like coming out of the race when they appear, or if it turns out we're wrong and these horses come back and they're underperforming by a few links, you say, eh, maybe that race isn't as good as I thought. But it, it's the kind of race that I'd make a note on that would appear in my uh, my past performances going forward just to see if we're right about it being um, an interesting an interesting one to take horses out of going forward. Let's talk about some three-year-old fillies. Why don't we do that? And we'll go to New York with the, the Busanda. And this race... Uh, the first thing I think of is I really expected Affirmative Lady to run better, but I suppose we should start talking about the winner who ran pretty darn well, a cult for Chad Brown. The figure on Timeform US was coded red throughout and a cult was right there, ends up with a 97 on the Timeform scale, a 78 on uh, on Buyer. I mean, this, this isn't the kind of thing that's going to make you say we have seen the Oaks winner, uh, but I thought the interesting talking points were how good do we think a cult is? And maybe the interesting thing about Affirmative Lady being kind of meh is it uh, doesn't do much for that Julia Shining form from the Demoiselle, which was Julia Shining being a horse I was already sort of saying, hey, when can we find a spot? I mean, I know people love her, but I just on the clock, I want to find a time to bet against her. The, 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 the Affirmative Lady performance did nothing to dissuade me from that idea. But let's start with the winner. How good do you think a cult is slash was? You know, I, I like her. I, um, 
I lo- so the things I like about her, I love that she's gone the nine furlongs already. I think that I think that in, introducing that kind of stamina component this early is a really good thing. And you know, being that that Chad Brown wanted to run her long as quickly as he did, I think is a positive sign as well. Um, she erased the bad debut pretty quickly with a good second start, and you know there was a there was a point just approaching the quarter pole where you could tell Dylan Davis kind of got into her. And she responded pretty quickly and um, she looked a little, little reminded me kind of like search results as a, as a th- early three-year-old Philly that she was able to move pretty, you know, pretty quickly and pretty decisively, um, you know, gambling girl and, and affirmative lady, you know, at this point they sort of are what they are, right? I mean, they were the horses that ran second and third in the Demoiselle. The Demoiselle was not a fast race. It was run on a wet track. So you don't know who maybe was helped by, the circumstance, the surface, anything like that. It is not the most rousing endorsement of Julia Shining. But the one thing I would say is that we all sort of knew Julia Shining did run kind of a ridiculous race in there being as wide as she was. And and she's just she's just such a and we've talked about this before, but she's such a hard horse to watch and like feel any kind of warm and fuzzies about because she's just you have to ride the hair off of her. And and you know, Louise Sayers was in a drive for like five furlongs. So that being said, it is it isn't the most rousing endorsement of Julia Shining and and Gambling Girl looks like she's probably going to be just kind of a decent three year old New York bred filly. Um, the problem that we will run into with Occult is that she will probably only run once more before the Oaks in a race like the Gazelle because um, Chad is not going to back her up distance wise. And honestly, there is not a a particularly prestigious mid-range prep between now and those final preps leading into the Oaks. So, you know, you're not sending a horse like Occult to Oakland for the honeybee or to fairgrounds for the silver bullet day or the Rachel Alexandra or anything like that. So, you know, it kind of works that you just shelve her until Wood Memorial day and bring her back in the gazelle. And she goes nine furlongs, nine furlongs, nine furlongs. He made the comment afterwards that she needs to get faster. And I don't, I, Never argue with the trainer saying that about a horse, but you know, in this crop, Pete, I don't know how much faster she has to get, right? I mean, if you're getting, you're getting mid eighties buyer speed figures, you know, you're in the range. She got a 78, um, but that was also on a fast paced race. And so, you know, I think there's a real argument to be made that occult is, uh, is kind of an under the radar solid player on the Oaks trail. Interesting. Let's continue with horses that may or may not go that way. Cause they were just going seven furlongs on Saturday, but we had back at Tampa Bay the Gasparilla Stakes, and this one was won by Opus 42, another one of our uh, – I'm pretty sure this was another one of our get Lasix and and uh, start going faster. Big step forward, improving from a 61 buyer to a 76 buyer. To your point, you know, uh, not, not the kind of figure that's going to make you say, hey, the, the – can't wait to to stretch her out and see what happens uh, for the Oaks. But it was a 98 on time form. Interesting pedigree on this one, too, by Mendelssohn out of a lemon drop kid dam. So you would think going farther would not really be a problem. And Arno Delacour is one of these trainers who I'm sort of just waiting to have a, a big horse in a, in a Kentucky Oaks or Kentucky Derby type thing. I've respected his work for a very long time. And uh, and yeah, this one I thought was at least worth uh, at least worth a shout in a race where the the big favorite Dorth Vader, my Star Wars hunch play, uh, was just kind of a no show. Uh, but though did 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 have a disadvantageous trip. It just did so little running. I can't endorse going forward. What did you think of uh, of the Gasparilla? 
Yeah, I thought it was a pretty compelling performance by the winner. Um, totally agree on uh, on Arno Delacour. I mean, it wasn't. It's easy to, I guess, to forget that he's had some good horses, but um, they've not been in this context, right? They've not been Oaks or Derby horses. Very good trainer, and, and excited to see what this one can do moving forward. I mean, nothing about the race made you feel like, oh, I don't think this horse could stretch out. And uh, so we'll see what uh, what ends up happening all in all in that next opportunity. She'll probably get a get a chance to lock horns with a horse like Wonder Wheel in the Sun Coast and see how much she improves from there. So I thought it was solid. I thought she uh, she took heat at the right times and fought horses off when she needed to and, and did so while moving up in class. So always a lot of positives there. Yeah, we're chatting with Tampa. Hopefully we're going to have those on the main network. If nothing else, we'll be covering the big Tampa days on the plus side of things. One more race at Tampa we will talk about, though, because one of the favorites of the show uh, was back in action, past the champagne, wanted to see her win. But I feel like this was one, and you could tell me if I'm, you know, being too much of a homer for our friends at Black Type Thoroughbreds, Nick. You, you, you're never afraid to uh, to tell to tell the truth. Uh, but I thought this was a better-than-it-looked effort. You know, an 89-figure off the bench. I wanted to see her win, but I think it was just one of these paid for the early exertions. There was some red time form us fractions goes down to a perfect trip winner in tap dance fever. Um, tap dance fever. I thought was an interesting one to talk about. I think it's as a case where just how important the trip was in this instance. Cause usually I see a five-year-old pop a big number like tap dance fever did last time. And I expend that that was even an off the turf race. It's the kind of figure I'm like cutting in line to bet against. And, uh, she backed that right up with a with, with a nice win, albeit with a perfect trip. But I think past the champagne, off that long layoff, I think she can move forward and be a player in this division. Yeah, I think she had to do some dirty work. Um, I don't, you know, I, I think the other question that I have with past the champagne long term is I don't really know where she fits distance wise. I don't know if she's probably more of a of a you know pace stalking sprint Philly mayor now, or if she is more of a, of a two turn type um, they did, you know, they, they were well clear of third and everybody else in there. So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a big concern that that's where she finished Beth's dream who she chased early is a very fast horse. And I do think she, like I said, I think she did all the dirty work. I think, I think she did all the heavy lifting. I thought she responded very favorably when asked. And um, I, I would envision that she'll take a step forward next time out I'm, I'm interested to see where it is though. I, you know, I don't know kind of what they want to do. I know that they also have a, a an older Philly that they want to give an opportunity to run in some good races, hidden connection who's coming to the Houston ladies classic on uh, January 28th. So we're excited to see where she fits as well. So yeah, you know, this is a funny division this time of year because there really aren't that many opportunities at a variety of different distances. So, you know, bringing her back at a mile and a 16th, I think made it clear that they'd like to, to test her at a distance. I would say right now she feels like a horse that long-term would be pointed to a race like the Ogden Phipps. And, you know, this is a division that was really, I mean, there's nobody left. So other than Nest, right? I mean, and so you're going to see, you know, the questions with Nest become, is she going to come back as good? Is she going to move forward at four? You know, is she going to be Malathot or is she going to be Abel Tasman? Right. So, you know, there's there's differences um, and Phillies are funny because they don't always come back the same. And so I thought it was a good effort. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think there was much shame in defeat losing to a guy like Gerald Bennett on his home turf with a horse that got a perfect trip. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, they're they're, they're it's not like she didn't stay. He, uh, she was slowing down a bit late, but I mean, she attacked that hot pace. Interestingly, Timeform has this one faster. Timeform gives past the champagne a big upgrade for attacking that fast pace. Actually, 
on the on the form figures, uh, the ability figures comes back a one eighteen to tap dance fevers one sixteen. But even the raw one thirteen is still even faster significantly than the buyer. So this is a I'm pretty confident saying this was a good effort. Our our friends over there should feel real good about themselves. Curious to hear how she comes out of it and what happens next. Anything else, Nick? I feel like uh, we've covered what was on my uh, main agenda. Any any other notes you wanted to hit on before we get out of here? No, covered a lot of bases. Look forward to chatting next week about the LeCompte and some of the, the fairgrounds action. Things are certainly heating up. Yeah, we'll have some coverage. You know, we'll, we'll cover the big one on the main show. Maybe we'll do a little plus stuff. It might be time for another Frank McGoey visit. We always uh, always enjoy those, especially yeah, now. I'm you. <laughs> your, your TV co-star, Frank McGoey, from, right. uh, from many years ago, Nick. Um folks don't know what we're talking about there you can find it right here on youtube the world horse player tour such a good show i darn pandemic got in the way but maybe someday it will ride again i'm not giving up i'm not giving up that's for sure but uh yeah we'll have we'll have some good good coverage of that for sure and uh and some other stuff along the way as well so that's going to do it for this edition of the show thank nick tamaro we'll thank our founding partners 10 strike racing and the thoroughbred retirement foundation check out what's going on over there trf inc dot org slash players this show's been a production of in the money media our business manager is breeders cup betting challenge champion drew coatney our chief creative officer is jonathan ginchin i'm peter thomas fornatel may you win all your photos